Hi, everybody. AJ here to introduce our guest for today's podcast. Emily from uh, Sometimes Sensible is a money coach and fintech product manager based out of Phoenix, Arizona. She initially became obsessed with personal finance when she was in graduate school and had racked up close to $200,000 in student loan debt. Ugh. Frustrated by the lack of inclusivity for all income levels in the financial industry, she started Something Sensible. Now she teaches a holistic approach to wealth building and documents her journey to early retirement online. Uh, we are... This was a such a fun episode. It, we get a little crazy. We talk about what kind of wine we, what kind of alcohol we are, what kind of what it's just a hoot of a time. And I hope you enjoy it. Um, Emily's fantastic. And let us know what you think after the episode. Thanks. Hello, hello, and welcome to Everybody's Bad With Money, where we share stories and get real about personal finance. I'm Emily. And I'm AJ. And uh, welcome. We make money talk fun. <laughs> I finished your sentence. Oh my God, I forgot the the most important part. The we make money part. to talk fun. <laughs> I think about that and I think about how you say it specifically like all the time. I'm always like, we make money talk fun. We make money talk fun. I love it. It makes, I like want to come up with sentences that have the same like, um, da, 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 I, know, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, we have a very special guest with us today and without further ado, Further ado, I'm so uh, formal. We're going to welcome Emily. She is the um, creator of Sometimes Sensible, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Hi, I'm Emily. I oh, I really should have prepared more on what you would want in an intro, but I guess the <laughs> the quick version is I take a very holistic approach to personal finance. So Woo-hoo! my whole brand. Thank you. Thank you. My whole brand is is pretty much real money talk from real people. And the whole goal that I have behind Sometimes Sensible and the name actually was that I'm a millennial. So sometimes I get it right with my money decisions and they're very sensible and practical and sometimes they're not. So I think that's kind of the best intro to to what- Yeah, that was fantastic. The whole thing's going on. (laughs) Yeah. So let's um, go back and like, who is Emily before um, Sometimes Sensible? We believe that your money wounds and like your, the way that you believe about money stems from your childhood. So if you, as far as you want to take us back, we want to know. Yeah. We want to hear your money story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think looking back, I only really remember money in terms of like scarcity. So I was raised by a single mom and due to a pretty nasty divorce, she actually filed bankruptcy and I was super lucky. I want to frame it and all the things she was still able to provide for my brother and I, but I do remember that my relationship with money was very much in the mindset of, I need to make more because I don't want to feel restricted anymore. So I grew up working in my mom's office all the time. uh, Probably when I was like I don't know, 10. Like I remember I could barely sit on the chair and I was like in the office. Um, And then I got my first non-mom related job when I was probably around the age of 14. And my mom was super supportive if I wanted to do something, but it was very much like you can do anything you want, but you have to figure out how to pay for it. And that was kind of the mindset that we had. So like the funny story that goes along with that was I really wanted to go to marine biology camp when I was younger and it was really expensive. Really expensive. That, so but that expensive. sounds like a dream. <laughs> oh, I was 
hooked. And so I was like, okay. And my mom's like, that's. Did you watch that made you want to be a marine biologist? (laughs) So many. So many. Um, And my mom was supportive. She was like, that's awesome. That sounds really fun, um, but we can't afford it. So if you want to go, you have to figure out a way to pay for it. And I'm probably, I've got to be like 12 or 13 at this point. And we lived on a farm and I grew up riding horses. And so I constructed this summer camp, like a few weeks of horseback riding lessons and like education and all the stuff that I was going to host at this farm. And to this day, I have no idea how I convinced the like parents to pay me at like 13 to teach their, you know, kids who were of the ages of like six to, you know, my age or something like that. Um, and they did, it worked out. I did go to marine biology camp and it was absolutely fantastic. Wow. You're a little (laughs) entrepreneur, like seriously, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was great. But I think like, as far as, you know, the story goes to show that I think my money mindset was very much of, you need to have it to do the things you want. It was Mm -hmm. always in the back of my mind and all of our conversations growing up, it was very much like, we can't afford that, sorry, or yes, we can make that work. But we, as children knew that money was basically the gatekeeper to the fun things that we wanted. Got it. That makes sense. That's a really great distinction because I think a lot of people don't understand that money is the way that you get to go do the cool things. Yeah. yeah 100%. It's a, it's a, it's a transfer of energy and in, in all the ways and all the ways in all the ways. Um, and did you go to college? Um, what was that conversation like with your parents? Like as you got through, um, middle school, high school, and did you study marine biology? I think that's the real question here. <laughs> uh, I did go to college. Um, I did not study marine biology. I did study <laughs> biology though. Oh, Um, look at that. Full circle. Yeah, it did come full circle a little bit. Um, What was the intention there for to study biology? So I actually was pre-med, nothing to do with Mm. finances at at all. Um, I, before I went to college, I actually moved out of my mom's house when I was 17 and moved out on my own for my last year of high school And then I didn't have enough money saved up and we didn't really have the funds family-wise to pay for college. So I took a gap year. And in my gap year, I, of course, being an 18-year-old who grew up in Michigan, was like, I'm going to move to Los Angeles because that sounded like the best thing to do at the time. Wow. Wait, why did you move out your senior year? I just didn't like my mom and I to this day. And if she listens to this, she, she knows it's, it's okay, but we have a fantastic relationship now, but we did not always have a fantastic relationship. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that, I think, you know, there's obviously things that happened that weren't money related, but a lot of that was money. I was very independent as a child, very much wanted to do what I wanted to do. And my mom, I was like, why can't you make it happen? And of course, as an adult, I'm like, that's incredibly selfish and like horrible to think, but as a teenager and a young adult, I'm like, whatever, I can do it better. And so mm-hmm. I moved out, I worked. And at the time I was fortunate enough that my high school was letting me be dual enrolled. So at this point I was only going to high school for one hour every day for an AP psychology wow. class. And then the rest of the time I would go to work and at night I would go to college classes that were counting as my dual enrollment. So that's kind of how I was like able to make wow. both work. Got it. Yeah, so then I went to LA. Yeah. Um, fell in love with politics, which I had an interest in, in high school, just in general, and worked for a ton of cool places. And then finally saved up enough money um, to basically go to college and get a scholarship and ended up going to DC. 
And that's where I studied both politics and biology, <laughs> which ended up turning into pre-med for three years. Um, so that was, that was kind of, I can't remember what the initial question was, but that, <laughs> that's how I got, got there. I think as far as funding with the college part, um, I worked the entire way through and I think I probably emailed my university into submission to give me more merit scholarships because mm-hmm. I was on them every semester for, wow. for more financial aid. But it was that a combination of some loans and a lot of bartending. So nice. I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. That you made yeah. a good a good cocktail. <laughs> I I'm You're like, okay. I literally never don't. I never <laughs> made a cocktail. I handed up beers. <laughs> <laughs> honestly I worked in a German uh, beer house so I, wow. I did some cocktails but it was a lot of just like corn beer yep That'll that do is it. a I skill bet in itself I bet you pour mean <laughs> beer I know I was gonna say nothing makes me madder than watching someone incorrectly pour a beer I am, <laughs> I get insulted it, it hurts my soul like to see really? that to see that foam and like it beer the nowadays beer can be expensive because you can get craft beer and it's like Mm. five bucks of can and they pour they dump the whole thing in and then it's all foam and you're like it just breaks my heart it hurts it hurts this is a beer podcast now yeah 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 yeah, yeah. what's everybody's favorite beer go around (laughs) do you really want to because i know i want to know oh what's your favorite beer go me okay i'll go Mm because i'm ready um, so before COVID, I went to a bar and they gave me a, it on the menu, it said a peanut butter and jelly beer. And growing up, I mean, I don't think I ate real food. I think I ate peanut butter and jelly and like craft singles on bread put in the toaster oven. So like, that was my, what I ate. So I was like, oh my God, I have to try this peanut butter and jelly beer. And I think I cried when I tried it. Like it was so, <laughs> it was the feeling of a peanut butter and jelly in a beer form. Um, and I've never found it since. And I dream about it like probably once a week. AJ, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. That sounds disgusting. It's <laughs> so good. I can't, I know you would think it would be gross and it is, I, it is, it was magical. Nice. All right. You, what's your favorite beer? Me, my favorite beer. Okay. My favorite beer of all time. It's discontinued and it's so sad, but it's the magic hat ginger beer I can't remember what it's called but it's like a magic hat with a a flavor of ginger and it is literally the best thing I've ever tasted um yeah so I think that's my favorite beer of all time I also really low-key even though these are like trash I love desperados have you ever had those and they don't sell them in the U.S. they're like only in Europe and and other countries like they're literally everywhere except for the U.S. Um, and they are, it's a beer brewed in a tequila barrel and it's so good. It's like a good Corona. Yum. Wow. Oh, I want that. I want it to be warm enough to want Corona. Um, all right. Emily, Emily? I never should have made this comment because I actually don't like beer very much. It is, it's a rare occasion when you catch me with beer. And if I do drink them, so like I had to taste all of them, obviously working at a beer house, but uh, there was like a German grapefruit beer, but it's a little bit, if like beer and cider had a baby, that's Mm. kind of like the middle ground Mm. of it. But usually I am a big wine drinker. Like one aspiration in life is I want to own a vineyard. So oh, I cannot, I cannot oh. go on podcasts and say, I love beer. <laughs> Honestly, I'm a wine over beer girl any day. So I'm with you. 
I love that. What's your poison, red or white? I loved how this, where this podcast is going. It's great. <laughs> um, usually red. I do love like a crisp white when it doesn't have like, you know, lighter foods or things like that in the summer. I am currently living in Phoenix. And for the first three to four months I was living here, normally I always reach for red, but I was completely, I was white all the time just because I needed something kind of cold because it was like mm-hmm. 120 degrees when I first moved here. So yeah, it's hot there. Yeah, I feel you. All right. I love the I love this conversation, but let's get back on track. So <laughs> post-college, so you graduated with a degree in biology, and then you also had a political science degree, right? Dual major? No. So it shook out to where at my university, I my degree is formally a public health because it oh, was like cool. the good way to come at my university. You could combine all your bench sciences and the mm. liberal arts into this like little robust public health degree. So that's my major And then my minor was biology. Nice. Okay. Got it. Cool. And so you graduated with that degree and take us to how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I graduated thinking I was going to go into medical school. I had done like three years of epigenetic bench work. I was super set on it. Hindsight's 2020. It should have been assigned to me that I absolutely hated chemistry, which I had to take 8,000 classes of. Um, And so, but at the time I was like, okay, I don't feel prepared to go to medical school. I have absolutely no money for medical school. So I was going to go and get my MPH, which is a master's of public health. Um, A lot, it's really common in um, the medical public health fields to get it. It's seen as kind of like a good stepping stone or complementary degree in a lot of ways. So it was a common path for people. Um, And so I went on and I applied, got in at Emory um, in Atlanta, Georgia, and moved from DC to Atlanta to start that. And maybe if I was more in touch with my feelings, I would have figured this out. Because as I tell this story, it's very clear that I was not super happy in the medical field uh, because after my first semester at Emory, I hated it. All of my friends were loving it. It's like one of the best universities for public health in the country. And I was miserable. Yeah. And I went to my counselor and I was like, listen, these are the things I like. These are the things I don't like. I'm not really getting what I want out of this. Like, can you direct me to something, you know, within the program? And he was like, honestly, I think you should drop out. And I, yeah. And I left my counselor being like, he just told me I should drop out of this program. And I, at the point, Emory is very expensive. And if yeah. you don't know for master's programs, they don't really give a lot of financial aid. So I made out really well for my undergrad degree, but I was going to go deep into debt for this degree. And How long was the program? Three years. Okay. Or that's two, a years, pretty, two years. Two years. I mean, still, that's like a pretty big commitment. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, for most people, they go six figures into debt for it. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Easily. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. So I, at this point, when this man is saying drop out, I'm probably $17,000 in debt, at least from the first semester. So I, I think that it's totally fine. If some people do drop out at this point, I think in a lot of ways that would have been a good decision, but I decided that wasn't the route I was going to take because I was a little scared. I think honestly, to drop out of a master's program, I worked so hard to get into. So I went to the business school and was like, started taking classes there. And that mainly happened because I had a bad healthcare experience, which is the funniest way to find your passion in life. But I randomly had to go to a dermatologist. And I think I was told one thing, another thing happened common with healthcare billing. I got this huge astronomical, like $600 bill for this like dermatology visit, which was insane. 
And I kicked and screamed. It was horrible. And I went to one of my professors and I had this like half-baked business plan. And I was like, I am going to change healthcare through this technological app. It's going to be great, blah, blah, blah. I was very naive. She kindly did not laugh at me and referred me to actually referred me to the company I now work for, which was a startup in Atlanta and also pointed me in the direction of entrepreneurship and was like, I think that you would really enjoy taking some of these classes. Like, why don't you go to the business school? And I never looked back. I went to the business school. I took every single class over there. Technically I have a master's of public health, but I have coursework wise closer to an MBA in a lot of ways. And I took as few public health courses as I could and as many entrepreneurship and finance courses as I could. And I think the, the thing I really liked too is I never set out to be like, I love finance. It was like, I like to build things. I want to start a business. Mm-hmm. Money is this tool that I need to master to be able to do all these things. So it, it kind of came full circle in a weird roundabout way for me. That's, That's awesome. Incredible. So impressive. What is I your love, star I sign? Love, oh yeah. <laughs> great question. Um, do you want to guess? Everyone gets it right. Usually for me. Capricorn? No. That's not what I would, hold on. Can oh. I guess? No, yeah, I guess. only me. I'm thinking. <laughs> she's analyzing your face. I know she's staring at me and I'm like, I don't know how to give you like a sign. Um, what it is. Aquarius. No. Oh. oh my God. We're off our game. So my I'm second guess would be, oh no, never. No, I, I would never, I would not have guessed that. Yeah, my Everyone second guess would have been cancer. I'm very sassy in real life and very, mm. I think that's what gets people as I, I have been told I'm very sassy and very passionate. And I say these as the kinder words of things that I've gotten because <laughs> very kind at heart, but very, very protective. So I, have, I very much get it, Scorpio. It's so interesting. I always find the Scorpios that are extremely um, organized and mature, like financially very fascinating because the other side of that is like extremely hardworking, dedicated Scorpios with like no ability to hold on to money. Yeah, the Scorpios, Scorpios I know in my life are not good with money for the most part. Oh, it's no, interesting. Well, I can give, give the, the yeah. better. Yeah, better <laughs> I love it. I was just going to say that it's so interesting, like, looking back on a path. It's like if everything that you did brought you to exactly where you are today, but I love looking backwards. You have such an interesting story. And I also wanted to take it a, a step further and talk about, um, you know, what you're doing now and how you decided to start this particular business and what got you interested in personal finance? Yeah, I think it's almost embarrassing to say this now because being in the personal finance community, there are just so many amazing women like out there doing their thing. Um, But at the time when I was like taking all these courses and racking up all this debt, I was like, I want to start my own business. I need to get rid of this debt so I can do it in a a better way. And so I got deep into the personal finance stuff. And I think that I was just so naive that I was like, I hate reading all of this from like the Dave Ramsey's of the world. Mm -hmm. And all this material I was reading was so dense and it was boring. And I actually like finance. And I still was like, I truly don't want to read this. And it just wasn't connecting with me in the way that I wanted to consume it and the way that I was living my life. It really reinforce that scarcity mindset that I grew up with that as an adult, I was like, that is just not how I think it has to be done. So I started sometimes sensible in this like sense that I was like, I'm going to make this like fun brand. That's going to like talk to women about how they can use like finance to help them reach their goals. And it's going to be as fun as like a lifestyle influencers blog would be. That was my big thing is that I like things that are pretty. (laughs) 
Yeah. You have a you very know. good eye. Thank you. Yeah. Like yeah. I like interior design. I wanted something that was like fun having wine with my girls talking about and also looked as beautiful as Mariana Hewitt's feed, which I stock often. So <laughs> yeah, that's kind I think of where you, that came from. I think you do a really good job. Your stuff is very um pretty to look at yeah it's very aesthetically pleasing I mean (laughs) that will catch you and then it's like oh this is very relevant information and I think Amelie and I can agree with a lot of like your philosophies on finances and money and all that fun stuff thank you so much (laughs) yeah I really I really like that you have the word holistic in there and can you talk a little bit about why you chose that word and kind of what that means to you Yeah, you know, it's funny that you point that out specifically, because I remember the first time when I sat down to make my website, and I was like, I am really bad with taglines and like that catchy branding thing. But I was like, no, I need to approach this like a business, I need a a tagline and something in one sentence to tell people what I'm all about. And holistic was the word that I kept thinking of. But funny enough, my boyfriend hated it. So for the first uh, few months of my business, I didn't use the word in a lot of my branding because I thought, oh, maybe it's just me who likes that word or really understands what that would mean. Um, but I, I brought it back actually, uh, re- it, kind of recently, only a few weeks ago that I kind of make it more front and center as a descriptor. And I think to me, it the word holistic means coming at it from sometimes, I guess the best example is sometimes it doesn't always have to just make financial sense. Like your financial health is so much more than just the math. And the best thing that I can use an example in my life is I have been talking a lot recently about building this house with my mom. This makes zero financial sense for me (laughs) in real life. Like if I were to just look at the numbers as getting out of debt, retiring early, all of my other goals, it doesn't, it doesn't help me in any way, but emotionally, this is something I have wanted to do for a long time. And when I deconstructed, why do I want to retire early? What is being, you know, work optional mean or having money mean to me? And a lot of it was providing for my family. So it kind of comes full circle and the word holistic to me is supposed to resonate with people who are like, it doesn't have to be just about the math. We want good math, obviously in personal finance, but there's so much more on top of that. Yeah. So I, 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 I there's a million questions I want to ask, but I want to hear how did, what was the intention behind starting the business? And then, and what are you doing now? Because I know that that's shifted Mm-hmm. Um, so taking clients. So I kind of want to hear about that progression. Yeah. The initial concept of it, I don't think I really thought it out too much. It was very much, I think I consumed so much influencer and blogger content just in other areas of my life, not finance related. I was like, oh, I'm going to do that for finance. So it was like, I'm going to write a blog and I'm going to post about it on Instagram and it's going to be fun. It'll be a community. It'll help me keep accountable. And that was kind of as far as my brain went when I first like approached it it was very much more of a creative process than a business and now I like am working on ebooks I made templates I'm doing coaching and it's just evolved to so much more and I honestly think it's because of the community that existed that I went in already and these women that I met and you know now I'm formed like lifelong friendships with they were like no like you look at all of these pathways that you can do to turn this into a career and a full, you know, of course you want to help people, but, you know, making money while you're helping people allows you to help more people. So it it kind of just has blossomed into there. And, you know, all the time people are like, do you want to quit your nine to five and do this full time? And I don't know, 
I don't know. Like, I feel like it's going to keep progressing and turning into different things years to, you know, down the line and stay tuned, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. How do you, how do you balance the, the night having the nine to five job with also having a side business? Wine, a lot of wine. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I am actually not the best I have learned from this. I really thought that I was a very organized human and trying to balance these two has kind of taught me I'm not that great with time management. It's um, hard. Yeah. So it, and I, I actually burnt out. I think I started my Instagram page and kind of dipped my toe in the water and got really overwhelmed trying to do so much and have my job and at the time grad school. And I stopped, I actually like, I didn't delete my account, but I just like stopped, logged out and didn't look at it for quite a few months and then came back to it. And I think the best like thing that I've started to try and do is set timers for, for Instagram and the rest of the business is a little easier to manage. Like blogging, it doesn't feel as overwhelming because you're kind of just you and your words and your writing and it's a little bit more peaceful. But as far as Instagram and social media, I am a, as my boss said one day, a soft person. <laughs> I am like very, I think, emotionally invested and receptive to, to what's happening on social media. So the balance for me has very much been like, okay, now I only allow myself like 15 to 30 minute like spots and only a few times a day to check in, answer DMs, like connect with my community. And then other than that, I've largely tried to just stay off until I can like get better with my management and boundaries on how I, I guess, balance all of the things at play. Let's talk about the word soft. Is it a positive? Is it, you mean, <laughs> they, do they mean that positively? Do they mean that I think it's a neutral term. Uh, yeah. He, How did you take that? Um, so it's funny. He called himself soft first. So like we, we use this in our company now because the, the story of how the soft originated is my, and my engineering team is in Portland, Oregon. And we are currently reading um, Netflix, the Netflix book by Reed Hastings, uh, No Rules Rules. So it's a book about Netflix's culture. And if you don't know anything about the culture, it's very intense. Like they have this like whole candor concept where like if you don't give intense feedback the moment you have it it's a disservice to the it's like to the Lululemon business. that's Lululemon oh really oh, thank See, you. oh yeah I didn't know oh yeah wait what do you what do you mean I don't understand this so Amelie when you said that when you asked Emily that question it made me feel like I was inadequate and I just want to give you that feedback in the moment that that's how that made me feel I don't, I don't get it. Like you just so, have to always be saying how you feel about it. Literally, literally everything. Is that what your point for, for Netflix? It's less how you feel and more your actions. So what they have like mm. parameters around how you give the feedback. And one of them is it has to be with positive intent and very actionable. So like they give one of the examples I remember from the book is like how one of the teammates was acting during a business call was like, you know, hindering the relationship they were trying to build or something. So he had to give them the tough feedback right then and there. And it's just part of the philosophy. And the, the soft term came into it because our company is, you know, we're only 15 people big and we're having this book club where we discuss the book every week. And when we came to this chapter, everyone was kind of at this awkward moment of like, you know, we definitely could do better with our feedback, but how do you do that? Because our, our, C, uh, our CTO was like, listen, I know that all of us are we're from Portland. Our culture is a little bit different than the East Coast. And he's like, the best word I can describe is soft. We are not as abrasive in our feedback as that. And for a lot of our team, we would take that very personably. So 
I, that's how the word came about. I, I don't mean it in a negative connotation and neither does him. We all just mean it in that we came up with the, we're going to institute the sandwich rule with our feedback until we get more accustomed to hearing it from our team mm-hmm. members. So like you have to give a, you know, a little bit of a nice thing before you're a little bit of actionable, constructive feedback and then wrap up with, you know, we still love you as a human kind of deal because we're a little yeah. bit more emotional as a as team, which I like because I personally am. So it makes me feel a little more comfortable with my teammates knowing they're the same. <laughs> so um, diving into coaching, is that like a similar approach that you take to working with clients where you're like, you're great. Your finances are a mess, but <laughs> I really like talking to you and you have nice hair. <laughs> um, I don't think it's as forced. I've never <laughs> even had, I've never even thought of having to have a method um, with clients because I feel like in a professional setting there's this like weird over tension thing but for for coaching I don't really see it and maybe this is bad as a professional setting I really treat all of my clients as like friends and we're like I guess they're they're paying me for a service but in the meetings we have it's very much like I regard you as a friend as a peer and we're just working together on something so it's it's never something that I would never tell someone their finances are a mess unless they were like my best friend who I often are like, you need to get your stuff together. But it's usually more of like, these are the things that I think that we could do to really improve your situation. And here's why. And so I like to say that I'm like a goal-based coach, I guess is the best way where I usually have clients come in and it's like, tell me what your goals are and what those goals mean to you. And then we're going to go backwards and like break them down into the financial steps that you can do to make those goals happen. Very cool. Um, So you've recently started taking clients like a few months ago. Um, So something that we haven't spoken about with any of the financial community yet is asking for money, standing in your worth. And um, I'm curious as someone who's just started a few months ago and kind of started this, started the business more from a place of like passion and excitement and not from a business point of view like how has that been how have you navigated that how have you felt have you spoken to other people about it in the field and etc etc it is the hardest part (laughs) to be honest like I am already default not the best at at the asking for for money thing which is funny because I did canvassing in LA which is nothing but asking people for money for a few months um one summer, but with, with coaching, it's very difficult. And I've spoke a little bit about it. Like most coaches um, that I know in the finance community are actually really open and to help you with your coaching business. And, you know, I have tried to get better about just like sticking to, I'm like, this is my price. I know, I think the biggest mindset shift that you have to have is knowing that the service you're providing may feel expensive, but the the client is going to get so much more out of it. So like yeah. I may be charging a hundred dollars an hour, but I'm going to help them save thousands by the moves that we're making. Yeah. And just saying that I almost have like, this is kind of embarrassing, but it's like one of my affirmations. So like before coaching calls, I will literally say this to myself. So I don't feel any type of way about charging my fee because I am not far enough along in my own financial journey where I have forgotten what a hundred dollars is. Like it's right. still- feels like a lot of money. And my niche, I feel in my coaching is really helping people who are may have debt or like are trying to pay off their credit card, or they want to fund their degree, or they have a wedding coming up, like, 
the people who aren't rolling in it and just need better habits. Basically, it tends to be people where like we need to work on making more income and getting those habits installed. So all this to say that like a hundred dollars to me, sometimes I'm like, this does feel like a lot of money. And so you have to really remind yourself as a coach, like you are providing a big value. And that has helped me immensely with like my uncomfortableness, I suppose, around the asking for money part of it. That's so interesting because um, I have seen so many people's finances and the shit that people spend money on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> $500 coaching to improve their acting career, um, health coaching, uh a uh, personal trainer, like all of these things. And then they're like, oh, money? No, a money coach? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not going to pay. So I actually, it's so funny because I have seen people who have no money pay money for development. And then of course, shy away from wanting to get a finance coach because then they have to actually deal with their stuff. Um, <laughs> and then people with, um, with, you know, a trust fund being like, oh, I can't put a hundred dollars towards a finance coach. Cause then I also have to deal with my money. So it's, that's something that I really remind myself with, um, which is, um, that like, just because we know that they actually can't afford it doesn't mean they know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've seen some of the that you definitely can can afford it. You just don't want to to deal with it. And it's I I think that one of the big things that I struggle with with coaching is the part where you kind of have to like you know you can bring a horse to water, whatever can't make them drink, whatever the phrase is. So it's like the same with coaching clients. Like you can tell them this is how important this is, but you can't make them feel how important it is. And so I am not a good salesperson. I don't like being a salesperson. It makes me feel a certain type of way to have to try to be a salesperson. So I am still actively trying to find, I think my good middle ground with like, I feel I can really help you, but I'm not going to spend all day convincing you that it's so important for you. And that's, that's where I have to get better. I think boundaries. And one of the tough things that might be unique to coaching is like how you, dole out your emotional investment and helping people make that, you know, light bulb moment, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to find that fine line because if you have to convince somebody like over and over again, that they need the service, once they actually get it, they're probably not going to do the work. So it's like Mm -hmm. finding that fine line of selling yourself and knowing that you're providing a value and being upfront about that, but then also not trying to convince people who potentially aren't ready for it. Mm-hmm, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, we wanted to ask you what, did, so I know in your blog, you were talking about like work optional and that's a word that you used. What exactly does that mean for you? And why is that something that you're passionate about? Yeah, I love the word work optional. Um, <laughs> to me, it is pretty much just having the financial security to walk away from anything that's just not fulfilling. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways to me, work optional is the same. (laughs) If you can't hear that, AJ's stabbing her fingers furiously. (laughs) Sorry to interrupt you. No, no. Um, Yeah, no, it it deserves finger snaps. I love, I love the the work optional (laughs) mindset, but it, in a lot of ways, it's really the same thing to me as FU money. So it's just like, 
I am going to be financial, if I'm financially secure enough, then I can choose to only work on projects that are in line with my values, bring me joy, and hopefully are making a big impact on, you know, the industry that I'm in. So those are kind of like my views around it. I think that where you find this gradient of work optional is within the fire movement, which I love the fire movement. Um, I love the women, the young women in the fire movement who are really making it a little bit of a more inclusive space. Um, And so work optional, I've started using that as a phrase instead of retire early, because I don't think Mm. there's truly a time in the next few decades, I can imagine myself just being like, I'm out, I'm done. That's it. I have so much that I'd like to accomplish. So now when I discuss it, I've found that people are more receptive and understand a little bit more. And I think it's a healthier mindset of like, I'm going to be financially secure so I can be work optional. I don't have to like stop working or retire early. It's not this big giant mountain thing. It's just the capability to work on my own stuff and versus, you know, something for someone else where I'm concerned with making money. Let's talk about the fire community. Cause I wanted <laughs> to bring that up actually was my next question. So I'm glad you segued in. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I like the concept. I don't like the obsession with like money as someone who loves talking about money. And it's my favorite topic in the whole world to get people and their finances in order. But it seems like some people take it too far and they're missing the mark on living. Yeah, no, I a thousand percent agree. And I used to kind of be like, oh, I don't know. Like I would use terms like maybe I'm like, adjacent like loosely adjacent to the fire movement or something and and I have to say that being in the personal finance community and talking with other women who are around my age who say I'm in the fire community has completely changed my mind Mm. about it and the way that they view it because I think for a long time fire was honestly like wealthier white men and that Mm. was kind of the thing who were earning six figures they were very high income earners and that was kind of what it was for a while. And, and it, I could be wrong. There could be more complexity to the history of it, I'm sure. But in my experience, when I first started looking, that was definitely what I was finding. Now, there is so much more inclusivity and diversity and youth and women and everything that's coming into it that I feel like it's like almost breathing it some air that I can relate mm-hmm. to. And it's very much kind of trying to decrease, not being obsessed, because I also don't think that that's super healthy, being completely obsessed with your money. And I think that the big thing for me and when I bring it up with clients is one, trying to just get rid of this notion that retirement is an age. It's not an age, it's a number. Like you can retire when you hit a certain amount of money. And it's not that I want you to be obsessed with hitting that certain amount of money. I just want people to understand that that's an option and there's a different way of living and retiring and you know going about your life than I think what we have traditionally been taught. And then the other part of it is I think that there is just so much good community around the personal finance habits that lead to fire that I think that it's at least in the people that I follow and and speak to, we're not so much want to live super frugally in our twenties. We just want to be conscious. So it's like, I, the, I guess the example is understanding that if I contribute a little bit of money to my Roth IRA now as a 25 year old, then I can have so much more money because of compounding over time. than if I said, ah, whatever, I'm not going to worry about it till I'm 35, then I got to try a lot harder. And then maybe I have to actually become obsessed with money to make it happen. 
So it's really just trying to shift the mindset of like starting young, you can still be, you know, find so much fun stuff to do. And the last thing um, in my ramble about this that I do really like is it has reframed for me a lot of the value of what I see as fun. So it used to be, I have to spend this much money to have a good time. The nice thing about fire is I'm not trying to be extremely frugal in life. In fact, I have many times spoken out how I refuse to give up my facial and pedicure and traveling and things that I love because they bring me joy, but it did force me to prioritize and look at and be like, you know what? I was spending money on drinks out at bars when I would rather just like go to a quiet coffee shop or have a movie night with my friends. Like, why are we going to noisy bars? It's not bringing me the same amount of joy and value. And I'm just spending money that I'd rather have used somewhere else. You don't want to scream across a table at somebody (laughs) stale beer. Like what? Of course. I mean, sometimes, sometimes maybe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I would love to, to interview a couple people in that community because we haven't really spoken directly to them. So I would, that'd be really interesting. Yeah. It was really interesting. And like, I say this because I, I, I'm excited to hear both of your perspective on it, but I was kind of um, not turned off because she's, it's just one person that I saw on social media talking about the fire community, but she's like, she's a huge following and she's talking about the fire community and she's saying how she's going to be a millionaire at this age and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And then she's like, I live at home and I, I don't pay rent. And that's how I'm going to be in the fire community. And that just doesn't sit with me well, um, because I'm all about financial independence so that you can actually make choices in your life based off what you want to do. And that just doesn't seem fair to her family if she gets to reap all the benefits of living at home and not contributing. Um, And I think there's like that part of of that community. And especially as millennial women, we're, and Amelie and I have spoken about this, about this dependency on our parents um, and dependent, and then, and what that used to look like is dependency on our husbands, dependency on our parents, and then moving to dependency on our husbands. Now a lot of women are on unemployment and they're dependent on unemployment. Um, and I'm just, and that just concerns me where it's like, wait, this has to feel fair and this has to feel balanced and uh, you should be contributing to your family's household and in, household income if you're going to go live there and take advantage of their showers and their food and their resources. Yeah, I I totally hear where you're coming from. I think that it's, I think I'm less um, like hung up on it as much right now because I know a lot of people did opt to go move home with their parents when COVID happened. And so it's just a weird time, I think for people right now, like to with the whole living with parents and many were very much financially independent. So I don't know, I, it's hard. I think that though, I will say if you are curious about the financial or the fire movement, there are so many people I've seen on social media doing it in so many different ways. Mm, Like I, I see people in high income cities paying my entire budget for rent and they're still, they're still doing it. Um, kind of way. So it's definitely like, I'm not going to sit here and say it's inclusive to everyone. It's not like you definitely have to have a certain income level to even like pursue it because we're talking about pretty big savings rate, which means that you Mm -hmm. inherently have to be able to pay your bills um, and have a good bet left over. So it's not a totally inclusive, perfect movement. Um, I think that what I would love to see come out of it as someone who is not a like traditional high earner is that I would love to see more people 
pull out some of the things that are good that, you know, you Mm -hmm. can take from it. So learning what work optional means and reframing the priority of how we look at the value of money and things like that. Because I think that one of my weird campaigns that I've gotten on that I didn't even realize one day would be something I was so passionate about is when it comes to financial community, there's a lot of advice tons and oh really no (laughs) a lot that is not relatable at all like yeah and um, also not good like there's some people out there and I'm like this is horrible (laughs) stop yeah Yeah. it's bad it's not relatable like just every myriad of bad combinations you could see sometimes and the skill that I wish and it's very difficult to to teach is I and I myself am working on it is the ability to look at something take what's applicable to you and just drop the rest and keep moving yeah. And that is sometimes very difficult because for a long Great time, point. I would look at the fire community and be like, I am not making over six figures. I don't blah, blah, blah. like, I can't do that. Like I just, I am not part of this movement. It is not for me. And I dismissed the whole thing because yeah. of those, those factors. And now I'm trying to circumvent and be like, you know what, like that part of the movement maybe isn't for me, but this part really much is, and I can still contribute to the community and gain something from it. So totally that's kind of how I've reshaped and not just fire, but like a few other kind of aspects of learning financial information. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I really like that point. Um, so we always like to ask our guests, um, if you could describe your relationship with money in one word, what would it be? Oh, (laughs) optimism, I guess, is the one that comes to mind. Um, I like that. Because I constantly stress my boyfriend out with my very lofty goals. And uh, I am very optimistic and confident in my ability to make money as time goes on. So that's my new wonderful. (laughs) I like that. I like that a lot. amazing and then we always like to ask as well what are three things that you're grateful for Ooh. I was not prepared for any of these guys um, <laughs> I know I know that's, that. a, that's on purpose <laughs> <laughs> Dang. um okay uh definitely grateful for my support system which I think encompasses everything from my dog who's been sleeping behind me this entire time to Cutie. my boyfriend and my family um, these are hard. I am also super, I don't know how, I think I would say I am super grateful for the privileges that I have had from, you know, birth to now and my ability to come this far in my financial journey at such a young age. I think I often am like, I'm 25, I'm getting old. And you got to kind of give your perspective back to I'm very, very lucky and very privileged for all the things that I have have done this far at still a young age. I feel like after I say something, I'm going to be like, damn, there was a better one. Uh, (laughs) There's so many things to be grateful for. I know there are so many things to be grateful for. Um, I guess my last one is well, today, this is my cheesy, not real one, but whatever. Today, I'm very grateful that my partner got a $100 gift card and we are having date night for free. Oh, baby! <laughs> yes. That's a great thing to be grateful for. That's amazing. That's wonderful. What about you, AJ? Um, so I had like the wind kicked out of me all week. I was super, like I needed to sleep a lot and I'm really grateful that I gave myself permission to do that. 
and not fight it because I finally feel like myself again and I'm really happy. Um, I am really grateful for date night, which I'm going to have at 630 and I can't wait. Um, and without the dog, oh my God. <laughs> and I am, I'm really, really grateful for um, my leading lady in my life, Susie Orman. I just reread her book, Women and Money uh, for the second time. And I just, I feel she was a big part of giving, I had the courage to do this because I read her book and I was like, I need to do this. This is my life's purpose. And so big, big, big shoes to fill, but I, she's my, she's my guru. I love that. Nice. Amelie. Um, I'm grateful for my apartment. Quick story. Our, my, our snake got out this morning or last night. Yes, I have a snake. And I literally woke up to Frankie being like, the snake got out, which like has not never happened in all the years that we've had him. And I think Frankie just like didn't lock his cage last night. And we turned the apartment inside out. Like I, I took everything out from under the bed. I took everything out of my closet. And then it turns out he was right underneath his cage and just like chilling there. And we found him and oh, it was, and I'm just really grateful that like we have a like newer apartment with not that many like cracks and stuff because he could have been lost forever and like probably died so anyways grateful for that um I'm grateful grateful for all of my plants they make me happy and I'm grateful for weekends I love it (laughs) I love it it was uh it was really so fun talking to you Emily um and no no oh yeah no we're not done we're not done (laughs) Yes, we want to let you promote yourself. Yes, promote of course. Oh God. <laughs> Where can people find you? Is there anything specific that you want to promote? Anything that you want to share with everybody? Whatever you want to tell us. Oh, I am so bad at the shameless plug. Um, oh no, we have to work on that. Um, so <laughs> I guess you can find me at, at sometimes sensible on Instagram, sometimesensible.com as well. Um, I guess my two plugs are coaching. I am now doing booking for April, whatever the next month is. Um, and then coming up soon, hopefully depending on if I finish it on time in the next few weeks is <laughs> I am releasing my first ebook. So it's going to awesome. be, there will have to be a better name because I don't think I can swear on my ebook, but it's basically getting your shit together. Everything. <laughs> now. <laughs> I love it. I'm kind of into that name. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the uh, show and thank you everybody for listening to everybody's bad with money. This podcast was presented by beyond the green coaching. We offer private group and couples coaching. We also do financial wellness workshops for corporations. So check us out at beyond the green coaching.com. Bye. 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 B